Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, January 5th, and this week, the gig is up, fees on funds, and carjackings continue. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And as always, I'm joined by Legal Rideshare's co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Green. Bryant, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jared. Great to be back for this new year. Yeah, new new year, same podcast. How's that? <laughs> We're keeping I think that's I think that should be the trend for everyone this year. Let's not make New Year's resolutions. Let's just let's it's been it's been a crazy last year. Let's keep it simple this year. I, I love it. I love it. Do <laughs> do less, but uh, do more at the same time. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so we're going to continue our three main topics instead of the daily topics. I think it uh, punches a little bit better as far as what we can discuss. And um, we're going to start with something that I think you and I have both kind of talked about. And I know it's kind of rumored, you know, is deliveries golden age over? Um, so, you know, has it gone rusty? Uh, some workers think so. Business Insider reported about this and said, um, in 2020, at the height of the pandemic, Juan started delivering groceries through Instacart uh, and takeout orders via Uber Eats. The money was so good that he didn't need any other job. Three years later, he's still a full-time gig delivery worker, but he's running out of options to stay that way. Um, and now this reporter had conversations with a, with a bunch of delivery uh, workers and said most of the conversations included a common theme. Working as a delivery driver got a lot harder over the past year. Lots of workers tell me that they got into delivering early in pandemic when lots of people obviously were willing to pay extra to have groceries. Um, but now, as it said, the statistic just came out, less than 10% of gig workers make over $2,000 a month. So I guess, uh, yeah, I guess the golden age has rusted, Bryant. Yeah, it's not surprising. Uh, we had a period of time during the pandemic where everyone was relying on gig workers to pick up everything from groceries to take out food. Um, these workers were essential. We were classifying them as essential. We were treating them, you know, that way in, in the government and in politics. Um, and I think as we've re-entered society, people just aren't spending as much money on these types of services and, and really luxuries. People are getting it themselves. And, and I don't think it's surprising that that's happening. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I, you know, we never love, I never like hearing that, you know, gig workers, you know, aren't making what they used to. And, and most of our stories before this were based on other reasons. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the hype ends, like you said, you know, I personally was, you know, during the pandemic was getting delivery all the time, even after the pandemic, I think up until, 2022, mid 2020, I was still getting uh, delivery every week. Um, and now I'm back at the grocery store. So I'm sure I'm not alone on that. And I'm sure that's what happened. Well, I think a lot of it is also one habit and then two, a change in society's financial position. So habit, we all develop these habits of going to gig workers for our delivery needs during the pandemic. And it was tough to break that. I think there was a, you know, after we got back into the real world, so to say, and, and people were out and about, we were still in this uh, mindset of, oh, well, I'm not going to go to the grocery store. I'll just get it on Instacart. But now people's savings are starting to run out. All that extra money that people got during the pandemic isn't available to them. Um, and people are having to make decisions. Do I still pay extra for this service or do I just do it myself? And unfortunately, with delivery work, I think it's one of the first things that, that gets cut 
when people are looking at their budgets and trying to save a couple dollars here and there. Right. To be honest, I think up, you know, even recently people are cutting their grocery bills just in general, uh, not even delivery fees. I think they're just, everyone's cutting back. Things are getting tough. Um, so I think it's, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately sign of the times, but who knows it could, there could be a resurgence. Uh, we're going to head into the next story here. A court ruled in favor of keeping fees on non-cash tips. And this is from Reuters. They explain, quote, a U.S. appeals court on Tuesday said a fund created by the state of New York to compensate black car drivers who are injured on the job did not break the law by imposing a fee on non-cash tips given to drivers, which nixes an $8.5 million award for a class that could include hundreds of thousands of passengers. Ira Goldstein, the fund's executive director, in a statement said the Second Circuit ruling makes clear that the fund acted in accordance with state law. Um, so, Brian, if, maybe you want to kind of dive into a little bit about what's happening here with this worker, New York Workers' Comp Fund and explain you know, who's, who's paying the bill and is it good, is it bad? What, what's the situation? Sure. So this is a, a little confusing. What happened in New York is a fund was established to provide certain benefits for drivers. And that's a really good thing. In most cities and states, drivers don't have access to benefits like workers' compensation. In New York, the law allowed drivers to tap into those sorts of benefits and resources, but it had to pay for it somehow. So there were fees that were being taken out of the rides to go into the fund to help provide these services. Some of those fees are coming out of the driver's in-app tips. So if a driver is tipped in cash, obviously the state can't put its hand in that pot and pull money out to help fund uh, the, the driver benefit fund. Um, but if the money is tipped through the app, the drivers are paying a small percentage, I think it's about two and a half percent of that tip into the fund to help create uh, you know, these resources. So there were certain drivers who filed a lawsuit and said, our tips should be protected. We should not have to pay any portion of our tips to go into that fund under the state law. And what happened here is the court looked at this and said, no, actually, this is fine. There's not an issue with this practice. And the drivers, you are gaining a benefit to which most other drivers are, are not getting. Therefore, uh, we're fine with, with the percentage of the tips coming out. So that's a lot of legalese. That's a lot of background. But ultimately, the drivers lost this battle. I would say in the the big picture here, the drivers in New York are big winners because they have access to this fund and they're able to to um, have benefits that most others are not. Yeah, I think you nailed it there with, uh, you know, they have benefits other drivers around the country don't have. And it's this is different than a lot of the stories where I think we talked about this last week where, um, you know, <laughs> they move, you know, the app or the company move tipping or remove tipping or. Um, you know, just made it harder in general for the drivers to get compensation. It sounds like either way, it's coming back to them. Maybe not in the form of a tip that they would like, but from my understanding of what you just said, they're still it's still helping them, right? There's a benefit here. And sure, I, I don't fault the drivers for trying. They'd rather the, the fund be funded through other means than their tips. I get it. I, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's not a, a blow, but in the same vein, 
having access to these benefits is huge. And if, if you were telling me for two and a half percent of, of each transaction, you're going to be protected if you get injured on the road, if you get injured while you're lifting somebody's um, luggage, if, if you get assaulted and you need to take time off work or have medical bills that need to be paid, I, I think that sounds like good insurance. And ultimately, I, I think that the state made the decision that they made and in the big picture, the drivers are winners in, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Like, you know, if we don't for wrong and you guys have opinions, certainly reach out to us. We're always here to, to hear the other side or hear if we're missing something. Uh, we're going to move on to the third and final story for today. Uh, it's an unfortunate one. Um, as carjackings continue in Chicago, advocates demand change. This is from CBS two. And they reported a rideshare driver was in uh, critical condition Thursday after he was shot uh, the night before during the attempted carjacking in the Austin community. As of late Thursday afternoon, the 51-year-old Uber driver was in critical condition uh, at the hospital after being shot several times in the chest. And a rideshare driver said it was just the latest incident in a uh, recent wave of violent violence against drivers. Uh, Bryant, you were also interviewed about this. And you even said, and I'll obviously give you time to talk about it, you know, we're dealing with some of the most innovative companies in the world um, and that, you know, rideshare drivers should have basic safety training before they hit the road, including things like self, self-defense. Uh, it's unfortunate because I feel like we always talk about this, and but I'll definitely give you the floor here since you had a chance to speak with the reporter and, and weigh in. This is a really tragic event where once again, we're seeing that a driver is being targeted simply for being a, a gig worker in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, we see very often in Chicago and throughout the country that drivers are targets to criminals because they're easy access. They're stopped on the side of the road, dropping off passengers. They're stopped on the side of the road, picking up passengers. Their doors are unlocked. They are easy targets to people looking to steal cars or commit armed robberies. And unfortunately, in this situation, the driver, um, you know, he, he's got very, very serious injuries, and we're certainly praying that he comes through. Um, we have been looking at situations like this for nearly a decade. The legal rideshare has been here for almost 10 years now. And what we don't see are the companies making meaningful steps to ensure a safe environment for everybody who uses the app. We want to see these innovative companies innovate safety. That means figure out ways to, you know, to do the background checks on passengers and ensure that safe people are using the apps. Make the two-way rating system better. That means just like drivers, when they get deactivated because of a complaint, a customer should as well. And that, that shouldn't be unusual. It should be commonplace. If, you've, if you are deemed to be unsafe, or, or otherwise are a danger to those in the rideshare community, then you should be booted. Uh, there needs to be help in which the police are automatically notified if, if there's reason to believe that somebody um, is injured or in harm's way. Um, and as I mentioned in, in the news article, we want to see training provided to the drivers. We want drivers to know how to handle the situation. In this story, uh, the driver initially refused to give up his vehicle when the criminals asked him for it. With more proactive training, that driver may have had the knowledge to react in a different way, which 
ultimately could have uh, been the difference in, in how this uh, took place. But when we're dealing with uh, a community of drivers who might not know how to respond in that sort of situation, might come from a different um, country and not have the same uh you know, training and, and uh, experiences that in the in certain neighborhoods, wh whatever it may be, we want to make sure that people are given the opportunity, the information to protect themselves and have the technology in place to help protect them as well. So this is ultimately just a really sad situation that ultimately could have been avoided had more resources been available. Well, absolutely. And we have been talking about this but almost identical story on this podcast, you know, on especially you on TV for years. And a lot of the things that we had discussed in the past was about, you know, and you just brought up about these companies are innovative, they should innovate safety. And what's really interesting about all of this is typically the argument that we would make and the argument I saw on uh, other podcasts or other articles was, well, they're not going to do this because it's a it's a cost it's a revenue issue and what's interesting about that is this has happened now and this is just my qualitative analysis on this but this is happening so much in chicago that it's now no longer just affecting drivers it's gotten to a point now where a lot of my friends are hesitant or will not take an uber or lyft because they're afraid of being in a crossfire or a carjacking so if Uber's attempt was to shave dollars that we don't need to deal with this, we're starting to, it's actually starting to affect the passengers. They don't want to even risk, they'd rather just have drive, have a friend drive or take a divvy or anything versus being in the back that maybe they'll be in the back when they get, you know, someone tries to shoot at them or tries to carjack the car. So it's affecting the bottom line. And maybe that's what it takes, Brian, to have something change. Yeah, safety is always worth it from a financial standpoint. If you have a safer product, you have a better product, you have a product that people want to use. I think Uber takes a lot of shortcuts in a hope of saving a couple dollars now when in the long run, it, it may really come back to bite them. So the more that these stories are in the news, the more that uh, people are hesitant to use the services, the more likely Uber is to come out on the bottom of this story. Um, so I, I hope that they have the foresight to understand that a a safe environment, um, a environment that people are excited to enter and not fearful to enter, is better business. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But the, you know that is the three topics uh, for this uh, week. But Brian, as always, I'm going to give you the floor uh, before we uh, head off into the weekend. Before we jump into the weekend, we always remind everybody that Legal Rideshare is available for uh, free consultation should anything happen. Uh, we would be happy to uh, offer our guidance uh, should you suffer an injury or an accident on the roadway. Um, you are entitled to get your medical bills paid for. You're entitled to pain and suffering, uh, wage loss, any other damage that you sustain. So please reach out to us. Um, we'll, we'll be sure to you know, ensure that you have a solid foundation for your claim and get everything that you're entitled. Yes, listen. Listen to me out there, drivers, gig workers. <laughs> please call us immediately. I can't tell. I, I, I just can't stress this enough. I know, Bryant, you bring it up. Please, if even if you have a question, reach out to us first. Do not wait three months, six months. Don't go to some local lawyer that you don't trust and then it's, 14 months later and you're you don't know what to do so please um 
call us, talk to us, email us, find any way come to my office. Doesn't matter. Just just get your way over here. We're, this is what we do. So, <laughs> but um, that is the end of this week in ride chair. See you all next week.